Good morning. Lovely. Um, man, I forgot my other notes, but uh, so um, welcome everyone. Good to see everyone here. Um, we're we're continuing on our study of Genesis. I would like to throw a little note, although I know we don't talk about Muslim things because after all, we're not Muslim. Uh, but there's a Muslim holiday uh, that that starts today. And now the reason I'm bringing that up normally I wouldn't it wouldn't mean anything to me. Because uh, there's two major ones. There's the one at the end of Ramadan, but there's a, the other significant one begins now. And it actually is they celebrate the, um, the almost sacrifice of Isaac. It's a big issue, I guess, within, their, their, uh, within the Muslim culture. And I thought that was timely because we're talking about that today. And part of that, too, is, is as, uh, as believers, you know, we always want to share our faith. And this might be a good way, if you know somebody who's Muslim, to interact about a topic that might be very important to them because it should be important to us. What happened with um, Abraham and Isaac um, when Isaac was when Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac? Um, so we're talk about. I say the sacrifice or almost sacrifice of a, um, Isaac, the, the Abraham's journey of faith. Faith is is in God is often described as a journey. You know, a path to God. You know, belief in Jesus, a place where we trust in God. Uh, we trust him for, for what he has done for us. Sometimes, off, well, oftentimes it comes over time. So hence the name journey. But our walk with God oftentimes is described as a journey too, as God, you know, makes us the person we want to be. <clears throat> and we see that really in Abraham's life. Um, I have the passage here from James. It says, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. The use of the word complete implies that prior to that time, his faith was lacking somehow. Looking over the events of Abraham's life, as we have done in this series, I think that the person Abraham was when God first encountered him and gave him the promise was a very different person when God told him that he had to sacrifice his son. And so we're going to look at that. Let's open with prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here. Um, thank you for this time that we can study your word. We pray that we, uh, we learn from your word today, that you uh, speak to our hearts, and that we pull something out uh, of this study, Lord, that, uh, that we can take home with us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're do a little background again, you know, whip through the, some of the th- key highlights that I think are important for his life is one, of course, is the call of Abraham. God's first interaction with Abraham, or Abram as he was at the time, it says here, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, your, fa- your father's households and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Hence the the call of Abraham. Um, Abraham does what the Lord has asked. He moves. Um, And the Bible says that he was 75 years old at this time. And that's important. Keep that in your mind, because that'll kind of come up as we go along how old he is. Um, And then he goes to the land of the Canaanites, and the Lord appears to him a second time. And he says to them what it says there. It's another promise. 
to your offspring I will give this land. So he promised to make his name great, make a blessing to the world, and to give this land to his offspring. Abraham builds an altar. Abraham then continues further, builds another altar. Then we move into what I call test one. I know that if you look in your Bible and look at the subheadings, it'll talk about Isaac as the testing of faith. But I actually think that he had numerous tests throughout this period. So this is test one. Abraham goes to Egypt. Seth talked about this a few weeks back, actually a month ago or so. There was a famine, and he decides to go to Egypt with his wife. And then he says to her, he says, I know that what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me. But, you will, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now let's put this into perspective. The Lord appeared to Abraham and told him to travel to a faraway land, which he does, and then the Lord appears a second time uh, and tells him what, uh, what will, that he will give all this land to his offspring. At this point, he's 75. Now, <clears throat> I would think by this time in his life, He's learned a little thing about the birds and the bees, right? Now, I don't want to project, you know, my understanding in modern times on them. Perhaps it was a different time. Perhaps they did the health education classes much later in life. But you see, this is what I'm thinking. It says God told him about an offspring, right? He did not yet have any children. Not to be crude, but you have to be alive for that transaction to occur, right? I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I think you kind of have to be alive for that. Thus, why is he afraid of dying? But Abraham's faith is weak. As a result, he lies. He sex traffics his wife. He causes problems for Pharaoh. Because um, the Lord inflicted a serious disease on Pharaoh for taking Abraham's wife. But despite his weakness, God is gracious with him. And he doesn't punish him. And he's also patient with Abram. I think that's key. Patience. God's patience. God has picked Abraham for this task, and God has faith that Abraham will come through. Uh, when God did not punish or chastise Abraham, I, I cannot help but think, though, it was a subtle slap in the face, because he did these things, and then he can kind of see the power of God on display on what he did. And so it's kind of like, look, you caused this. Look what happened. You know, you need to have more faith. We then see many years pass. Um, Abraham's going on with his life. He separates from his nephew Lot. Then he has to save him. And then we come to kind of the covenant, right? Uh, the Bible tells us, that, um, tells us that the word of the Lord came to him in a vision. It says this, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield and your great reward. When Abram reminds God that he has not yet given him any children and that a servant's child will serve as the heir, God responds in this fashion. This man, speaking of this servant's child, will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then you have one of the most powerful verses in the Bible as we've come to learn it. It's this one. Abraham, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in Romans 4 and throughout Romans really in pushing forward the idea that salvation or, um, or justification comes through faith, not works. 
Abraham then, ta- takes, then asks God for a sign that this promise will come true, and we see the covenant. And Bill talked about this before, right? You know, had the cutting of the meat and the fire going back and forth. I always thought that was very weird to me, but that, that, that is how it was. But before we move on to test two, let's kind of do a little tally on, on the interaction with God. Abram has now directly encountered the Lord twice. He's, he's encountered him through a vision. He's experienced the mysterious covenant. He's also seen the power of God in Egypt. You'd think that he'd be good by now. I realize that the number of years had transpired through these experiences. However, he experienced things that most people don't actually ever experience. So you'd think his faith would be good. So let's go on to test two. Let's see how he does. Ishmael. About 10 or 12 years have gone by since the original promise. And Sarah decides that, you know, God has not provided children for her, so she's going to take matters into her own hands. She tells Abram, go lie with my servant Hagar so that we can have a son. Abram agrees to this plan. You know, it's been about 10 years. God had not yet acted on the promise. Perhaps he thought he needed to do something more to bring about the child that was promised. And we can do that sometimes. We can sometimes assume something of God and do exactly what is not correct. You know, such as, you know, I really, God wants me to be happy, so I'll marry the wrong person. Or God wants me to be happy, so I'll get divorced. As it turns out, Abram was wrong. He failed to trust God and wait for the Lord to provide an heir. He then seems to kind of wash his hands of it. Like he says, there's a conflict between Hagar and Sarah now, or Sarai as as she was at the time. Um, Abram tells Sarai, to do as she wishes to the slave. And then Sarah mistreats her. I mean, I always think, boy, these are, these are the patriarchs of the church, right? Mistreats her, and, and Hagar runs away. Uh, however, the Lord is gracious with Hagar, telling her that she should return to Sarai, and that God will bless her offspring. I find it interesting that despite the failure, God is still very gracious here. I mean, in a lot of ways, you can, God had no obligation to Hagar or Ishmael. However, God does pay a bit, uh, however, Abraham does pay a bit of a penalty because God's going to bless Ishmael. And in blessing him, he allows him to be a problem to Abraham's descendants. Um, oh, here it is. Yeah, you see it up there. Um, he says, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you, um, <clears throat> you, are ne- you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So if you're keeping score, that's two tests and two failures. Of course, if I was talking to Abram at the time, he may say something like this. You don't understand. The Lord is taking too long. I needed to do something to push it along. Again, we could throw stones at him, but I can see myself you know, after so many years, having that same type of attitude. So let's move on to, um, now 13 more years go by, and we move on to test three. Um, and we get the covenant, uh, covenant of circumcision. Abraham's about 99 years old. Uh, and, he, and God appears to him a third time. God promises to make him a great nation, but here he mentions all, and here he mentions all the promises. Meaning with the father of many nations, making you fruitful, making an everlasting covenant between God and his descendants, and the promise to give his descendants the land where he lives. He makes all these promises. God also establishes the covenant of circumcision, and he changes Abram's name to Abraham, 
Sarai is named to Sarah because they will be the parents of many nations. And the interesting thing is if you see through the progression here, God is taking him through a progression. He doesn't load everything on at one time. He gives him a message. And then a little bit later, and he goes, well, I'm going to change your name. And he's kind of walking him through. Thing is, we don't like that. The truth is, we like it to go quicker. Why don't you get everything now? This is way, but let's get it all done, right? Guys, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. We're, we're moving along, right? As I mentioned in my last term, God is pouring out his heart. And what does Abraham do? He laughs at him. This was Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to him, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. So you may be wondering why I call this a test. Well, this test is here in this verse. God makes a promise to Abraham, and Abraham laughs at him. Where is that he believed, and it is credited to him as righteous? And then he bargains with God and says, Why don't you just make Ishmael... You know, why don't you bring the promise through him? You know, where's the great faith here? And the short answer is it needs work. Again, we see God being gracious, exercising exercising great patience, knowing that Abraham is not yet where he needs to be. God ignores his request and tells him about the promised child who will have, whose name will be Isaac. So now he's, he's progressing. He's changing names, telling him you're going to have this child, and this child's going to be it. But it's not coming yet, though, but it's going to come. Um... Abraham complies and circumcises his whole household. Now, people who know me, I like sarcasm. Well, the Lord likes sarcasm too. Because do you know what Isaac's name means? He laughs, right? So the Lord has a sense of humor, right? He, and I, I love it. I love how that, <laughs> that plays out. Then we move on. A short time later, and we have the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God again, appear, again appears to Abraham, Right? This is what I talked about the last time, where the three visitors came, Abraham, to tell him about the destruction of Sodom. And then, then Abraham, uh, then the Lord tells Abraham, uh, Sarah tells, uh, tells him, Sarah will give birth in a year from that moment. And now it's Sarah's turn to laugh. And as we saw the last time, the Lord calls her on it. She's like a kid caught with her hand in the cookie jar. She denies it. And the Lord says, no, yes, you did laugh. You know, and I, in a lot of ways, I feel like Isaac's name is not only good sarcasm, but it's a little bit of a rebuke because he was reminded, you laughed when I told you about this. You didn't. And what, what happens when we laugh? It means that we're not really sure it's going to happen. We're kind of a little bit cynical. And that's what that laugh is. Sodom then falls, and Abraham sees the power of God again on display. Right? He, it says here, it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw a dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Now, I try to imagine what he's seeing. He's seeing this plane wiped out, smoke coming up. But there's also this smell. Something that I thought about is the Bible tells us that God rained down burning sulfur. I don't know if you've ever been around sulfur, but it has a very distinctive smell. In fact, um, <clears throat> some time back I was, and I still do this, but you know, I want, I'm using antibacterial soap. Yes, I, a little bit of a skin condition, but all right. So I was talking to the doctor about it. She's like, well, you could use soap with sulfur in it. It's supposed to be better. But it's kind of expensive, actually, if you ever try to buy it. 
But I, I tried it for a while, and then I said to Deborah one day, I said, wait, there's this odd smell in our room. She goes, oh, well, that's the sulfur in the soap. And the way I would describe sulfur is it's not a nasty smell. It's like, oh, I can't take it. But it's not a pleasant smell. It's not something you're going to go, hey, let me get some sulfur candles and, you know, fill the house full of sulfur. It's not something you're going to do, right? Um, so I just can imagine if he rained out, that smell permeated there. So it's not, it's, you know, our senses are interesting because we can kind of react by our different senses. And I wondered about that. I wonder if he, like, later on he smells sulfur and he remembered now let's move on to test four. Short time later, Abraham moves to another area. And then he pulls his same stunt he pulled in with Egypt, uh, with Abimelech. He says, uh, he, tells Sarah, he, he tells Sarah to tell everyone he's his sister. A local king, Abimelech, takes Sarah as his wife. God intervenes in this powerful uh, situation. And he says, uh, and, he, and God appears to Abimelech in a dream. He says, you are as good as dead. Great way to start out. Because of the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. Now, Abimelech had not touched her, and so he defends himself to the Lord. He says, did, not, did he not say to me, she is my sister? I'm kind of on his side on this one. Um, and didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And then God responds to him and says, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours die. The next day, Abimelech summons Abraham, and he says, what have, why have you done, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me in my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not have been done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? And then he responds, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife, because she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And that's a little gross, but we'll move past that. And then she became my wife. Apparently he was. She was his half-sister. And when God had, had me wander from my father's household... Um, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say, say of me, he is my brother. Which means that he's done this numerous times. Like, this is his modus operandi. Again, you can kind of struggle with the faith there. Um, Abraham, Abimelech returns Sarah, gives Abraham a number of things in conversation. Abraham then prays for Abimelech uh, so that God will heal Abimelech's family because God had made uh, them barren, made the women barren. I wonder about Abraham. At this point, what is he thinking? Did he not forget the whole birds and the bees speech? He needs to be, uh, to be alive for that transaction. If there is anyone who could walk around in their life with, as if they had a shield on, it was him. I mean, he could mistreat people. He goes, what are you going to do? You know, I've got the Lord on my back. But he didn't. He walked around afraid all the time. So if you're keeping track, that's four tests, four failures. And then this brings us to finally Isaac is born. Which, I, at that point, I guess the shield drops down, drops off, because he's now born. Um, this brings us to test five. Just as God promised, one year later, Isaac is born to great joy. And then uh, and he's born, and Sarah says this, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. I, it's nice that she could finally take that and, and move on and realize her own failures and say, look, I messed up, but let's laugh about it. Uh, and Abraham is about 100 years old at this point. 
But the testing is not done. When Isaac was weaned, and I would look this up, weaning was somewhere between two and four years, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, Sarah sees Ishmael, who's about 15 years old at this time, mocking Isaac. She tells Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, saying that he will never share in the inheritance. Abraham's distressed. This is his son. It's his son Ishmael. But God tells him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to what Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. I really find that interesting. God, he made a mistake, but God still was going to bless him because it was his offspring. The next day, Abraham sends them away with food and water. Here Abraham is tested because he actually has to trust you that God will take care of them. As we see in this story, they wander in the desert to the point where Hagar realizes they're about to die. And the Bible tells us where she can't bear to hear her son cry. So she leaves him and walks away. And I think as a parent, how that may have been when she's faced with this idea that we're going to die and I can't bear to hear my son cry, I have to, to go away. But God is faithful to promise Promises he made to Hagar and Abraham, even though we may not like his timing, because he does seem to wait to the last moment, um, he saves them and Abraham passes the test. I think Abraham knew that uh, they would not survive the desert, because that's where they went if God did not help. What happened is what he expected. Therefore, he had to trust God that God would take care of them. So for the first time, he actually passes the test and trusts that God will do something. This brings us to the final test. Before discussing this last one, let's do the tally again. Abraham has encountered the Lord five times at this point in his life. He's had a vision, he's had the covenant, and then he sees God's display in three separate occasions. Egypt, Sodom and Gomorrah, and with uh, the king Abimelech. And this brings us to that last test, and it's the test of the almost sacrifice of Igor. Isaac. The Bible says that it's some time later. I'm guessing about 10 years, because in this, in this story, Isaac has to carry wood, so I'm guessing you know, maybe he's 12, 13 years old, old enough to maybe carry wood. So that's what I'm, so I'm guessing. God again calls to Abraham and says, and he says, here I am. And then God says these fateful words that probably would shake anyone. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Amorai. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. I cannot begin to imagine what went through Abraham's mind when he heard this. Isaac is the promised son of the covenant. It took 25 years for him to be born. And here God was telling him to sacrifice his son. However, we do not see that same instance of, you know, faithless responses this time. You know, on the other hand, there is a solemnness to what occurs. He, uh, the Bible says the next day Abraham loaded a donkey with wood, took Isaac and two servants, set out for where God directed them to go. After three days, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He tells his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, then we will come back to you. Abraham then took the wood, placed it on Isaac, and he had the knife and fire. No matches, right? So I guess they had to carry the fire with them. Always, in my mind, I, keep, I always think of weird things, but I'm like, how do you keep it lit? Like, did you use some, some sort of like, something that allowed it to continually burn for a long period of time? I don't know. You know I, I know, I get off into weird things. Um, 
So that, so that, so they do that. So um, I lost my point. Okay, along the way, <laughs> Isaac speaks up and he says to his father, and I can just imagine the boy talking to his dad. Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, "The fire and the wood are here," Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. When they reach the place, Abraham builds an altar and arranges the wood. I wonder again what was going through his head. Is he crying? Is Isaac fighting with, you know, is, um, what is it? Is he going really slow, hoping the Lord will intervene at some point? Abraham then binds Isaac, places him on the wall, goes to grab the knife. And again, imagining, like, I, I keep thinking, what is this, what is this looking like? Is he, you know, is he upset? Is he crying? Is, is Isaac fighting with him? Is he crying out to his dad not to do this? And I, I'm reminded when, I, when my oldest, Landon, was very young, and I was very frustrated with him, uh, as you know, young kids are, and I reacted in a way that kind of scared him. And I remember he, all of a sudden he just said, Daddy. And he said those words in such a way. It wasn't what he said, it was how he said it. And I remember kind of just instantly kind of catching myself, my heart kind of melting. And, and I think, you know, even as a father, I have my responsibility to discipline and teach my kids, but it's also to protect my children. I was reminded, uh, you know, that my son was crying out to his father. And when I read this scene, I think about the situation of my son. Was Isaac looking at Abraham sadly saying, Daddy, don't do this. Just before he can slay him, the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham. Abraham. He said it twice to get his attention. Perhaps he was really focused. And then he says, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on that boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. He then sees a ram in the thicket and, uh, and sacrifices the ram instead. Um, there's the boy. And then there's that one. He says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham returns home. In conclusion, you know, we can kind of glean some things from the story of Abraham. Some things that will teach us about ourselves, but also teach us about God. One is, is that Abraham's faith is complete. The person that we see who first travels to Egypt is a very different person when he's asked to sacrifice his son. It was through this series of tests that Abraham's faith is refined and that he's able to trust God and give up his son to the Lord. Hebrews says this, By faith Abraham, when God tested, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So his faith, he had, you know, before he had trouble with the birds and the bees and putting all that together, but by now... He had realized his faith had grown strong enough that he could say, look, he already promised. So God's going to do something here, and I don't know what it is, and I can trust him. 
James says this, this is the passage I quoted at the beginning. Was not our own sister Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. It's like this. God first makes the promise. Abraham believes and it is credited to him as righteousness. However, complete trust in God took him time, I think. In fact, it took 35 years for Abraham to get to the place where he could trust God. It's a long time. In some ways, maybe he was a little thick. After all, he saw all these miraculous things, yet he still struggled. Um, the second thing we see is God's patience. And I, this is the part I really love, um, because it's a picture of how God acts. Um, and we see it implied in two different ways. One is we see God's patience with his plan. God has a plan for, that he is trying to accomplish for all people, right? It began in the garden. He's been moving forward ever since. His content that it may take a long time. Just look at Abraham's life. He did not, God did not interact with Abraham until he was 75 years old, all right? And then he took another 25 years for Isaac to be born. God is pretty content with things taking time. But he also has patience with us. Thank the Lord that he does have patience with us. God is content to, for us to grow spiritually. We see again in Abraham's life, God did not drop the hammer every time he showed a lack of faith. However, God knew that Abraham would eventually come around, but it would take time. God is also content for us progressing at our own pace instead of forcing the issue or forcing us to have faith. When I think about what God, what God, uh, where God was taking Abraham, I think of this verse. Abraham will surely become, this is what he said to him just before, during the Sodom and Gomorrah incident. He says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Abraham becomes the spiritual father of all of Israel as well as all believers. God wanted to refine him to, for this task to make him the person who would be that symbol. By the time Isaac was born, he had become the person who could properly instruct in the ways of the Lord. His faith had grown enough that I think he became that person that could teach and share that information more, more going on. No longer was he this feeble, afraid, afraid guy that thought they were going to just take his wife and die. He walks with confidence. And I think the Lord does the same with us. Which brings us to our lack of patience. So we don't like it that it takes a long time. None of us do. Anybody says they do, they're lying. We can have great lack of patience. We can see it. We saw it in Abraham and Sarah. However, instead of throwing stones, we must realize that we're a lot of times no different. This actually, when I started thinking about it, this actually brought great comfort to me. I started thinking, you know, I can kind of beat myself up for a lack of faith or a lack of trust. And I have to realize that sometimes God is probably pulling me along just like he is Abraham. It doesn't mean that I don't feel bad or I don't see it as wrong, but I also have to realize that if God is patient with me, I should be patient with me as well. The next thing we see is worship. We, this is just kind of a little side thing that I threw in because I, I was always amazed by this, this, this passage. He said, 
He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. And I always think of, so you're going to go burn this lamb or ram or whatever it is, and that's worship? You know, coming from the very contemporary, and I come from Pentecostal background, I'm thinking, that's a little odd. Like, where's the music? Where's the cool music? Where's, where's that raising of hands and us feeling really good? And, and we can talk about what's good worship, right? I've, I've had that conversation, right? You know, I, I remember the story of my friend saying something to me about that when we were, I was talking about something. He go, and he's not a believer. He goes, well, you know, isn't all worship good? And I remember my first response was to say no. But, you know, in my mind, what was good worship? Oh, if I like the music, right? And so a lot of times that, that becomes a thing. We talk about the worship time. But actually, worship is more about doing. Uh, and we have that. We have that in Romans, right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, offering yourself to the Lord. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, approved will. Worship is about action. We worship God by giving of our time and our lives to him. We are glorifying God through our lives. The singing time, that's just an extra piece. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. That, I know they're going to sing in a second. They're going to like, should we sing? Yes, you can sing. But, uh, right. Number uh, uh, two more. Substitutionary sacrifice. We get the idea that substitutionary sacrifice, somebody stepping in the place of someone else. Um, and we have uh, Romans 13. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He will not also, he will not also along with him graciously give us, will he, yeah, that's a question. I'll say it again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So the idea is that Christ became the substitutionary sacrifice, and we see it in the first time. We see that kind of first example on this. By the way, I have a commentary that spends many pages discussing whether or not Paul was actually thinking about this when he wrote about it, and really kind of boring, actually. And I, I, it kind of doesn't matter. I kind of feel like I can kind of see with my eyes. It's substitutionary sacrifice. It seems to play out, right? And then the last one is, it teaches us about putting God first, because that's what Abraham had to do. At the end of the day, it was always, and it always has been from the beginning, put God first. He couldn't put his son in the love of his son over God, and he needed to put, be put to the test to say, yes, God, you are first, and I'm going to put you first in my life.